Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another night at the round table. Tonight, we explore the film The Shape of Water. With us tonight is David Flora from Blurry Photos. David, say hello. Hey, how's it going? And Justin Zinger from Zing This. Justin. I also say hello. (laughs) Welcome, (laughs) gentlemen. Uh, We sat down and watched this movie. Well, full disclosure, we watched it two weeks ago. Then we recorded, and we didn't actually record. Uh, That was my screw-up. That was my fault, so I'm taking 100% of the blame here. Uh, Something went wrong with my record. Okay, I didn't do it right. Uh, I I made a mistake. So anyway, we're doing this again for the second time, so bear with us. We're going to try to recreate all our jokes and all the fun stuff. So uh, anyway, (laughs) (laughs) this is going to be challenging. It's not going to sound forced at all. (laughs) No, No. not at all. (laughs) So as I said, we did watch uh, 2017's The Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro. I'd like to start out by asking you guys what's your uh, initial thought on the film? Like, overall, had you seen it before? Uh, after you watched it, what what kind of – what were the first thoughts that came to your head? Dave, I'm going to let you go first on this one if you don't want to. I had seen it before, uh, and I enjoyed it, and I thought it was – it was a pretty wild film story-wise. Visually, it's stunning, and the performances are great. And uh, I was very much um, taken with the, I guess, the the uniqueness of it. And um, I, I, I think we had mentioned this before, but Hollywood always uh, complains, and, and people that watch movies complain about Hollywood not being original. Well, here you go. Here's a here's a pretty unique, a fresh one for you. And um, lo and behold, it you know pretty much took home some honors and was rewarded for it. So I think uh, kudos to them for this. This would this is my first time seeing this, even though this is something that I probably should have watched because I enjoy Guillermo del Toro movies, and everything. And this is weird and quirky and everything, and all the weird places. And um, I remember people talking about some stuff, and it came to me as I was watching the movie, about five minutes and ten seconds into the movie, uh, there, there was one part that I was like, I was watching, I'm like, I swear that there's something in this movie, and I'm like, oh, there it is. So, there's that. Um, no, I, I thought this was great. I, I regret that I have not, that I've, that took me this long to see this movie. So, Derek, thank you for allowing us to watch this movie and and discuss it. Also... On a plus side, since I've had kind of a week to think about stuff before I knew that we had to re-record this, um, I've also come to some some new realizations, so I guess that that's kind of a benefit, maybe? Also, I like to think that time wasn't wasted, it was just three friends enjoying a conversation with each other. 100%. no one will that's right. ever hear. 100%. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in line with you, Justin. I'd never seen the film before. I knew about it. Uh, obviously, it won a lot of awards. It was on everybody's radar a couple of years ago. Uh, and I knew it had to do with some sort of cryptid type creature, some sort of lizard man, fish man, something. And that's about all I knew. And boy, was I shocked when we got into this film. There was um, <laughs> there was some stuff in here I didn't expect. Let's put it that way. Uh, maybe we should do it. Five minutes, a, 10 seconds. <laughs> five minutes, 10 seconds, it starts. Uh, maybe we should do a really quick synopsis of what this story is actually about for those that haven't seen it and don't plan on watching it. If you plan on watching, I suggest you guys stop right now. Uh, but anyway, essentially, this takes place in around, I want to say, 1960 in Baltimore, Maryland. And the the main lead is, a, I can't remember her character's name. It's been so long now. Uh, Justin for the assist. Justin Elisa. for the assist. Elisa. Yes. So uh, Elisa is a uh, cleaning lady at this military installment, this research center of some sort. And DARPA. She, DARPA. 
And she happens to be uh, deaf. Or no, sorry. She happens to be mute. She's not deaf. So anyway, she's working at this place. And all of a sudden they bring in this lizard. Or, I'm sorry, fish man. I guess he's a fish man type person. And not only does she fall in love and break him out, but they have a sexual affair. Uh, I think more than once throughout the movie. And that is the really strange part of the film, in my opinion. So at any rate, he, <laughs> he gets he gets the jailbreaked and they... I guess she turns him into, or he turns her into uh, a fish person as well, and they escape into uh, Baltimore Harbor or whatever that place is is called. That's my synopsis, anyway. And I have some points I want to point out later when we discuss, like, I guess, theories and stuff like that, because, like I said, having a week to think on this, I've kind of come to a different conclusion than I have before, so, which no one ever hear. But our hearts remember. <laughs> <laughs> There are a lot of uh, things in this in this film that people have been talking about, whether they're Easter eggs or whether they're inspiration or what's going on, what exactly is happening. And one of the things that's mentioned in in the film itself in the dialogue is that the Fishman is uh, some kind of god that they um, found in the Amazon. The people, the tribes around there, worshipped him as a god, and I think. Oh, I think there's a debate on whether or not, you know, is would he be a god or is he just some sort of creature? Is he an alien? Is he a cryptid? So that's stuff we can, you know, come back to. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, don't don't let me forget to circle back on the Lovecraft uh, part of this that people love to lump in or, or at least draw uh, conclusions to. Also, I, I know this is this is brought up a lot in the movie. There's a lot of um, commentary on a lot of different levels of stuff. There's uh, commentary on race. There's commentary on gender identity. There's commentary on sexism. There's commentary on a lot of different stuff. And there, this this while all that is going on, there's this story of this mute woman and this aquatic fishman falling in love with each other Mm -hmm. it's really touching thank you worked all week on that (laughs) so the film actually stars sally hawkins as the main lead how do you say this octavia 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 okay i I might have wrote it down wrong. octavia spencer i knew the i knew who she is i just couldn't remember how to say it michael shannon and my favorite richard jenkins um Mm -hmm. richard jenkins plays giles the neighbor um who who justin was talking about a minute ago it, it sort of in a way where we mentioned it touches on a lot of issues. He happened to be a gay man in 1960 Baltimore, which as we see in the film is not a very popular thing. So uh, they really touch on a lot of social issues from the, not only that time, but current day as well. Sure. He has a great line in the movie too. Um, the whole, like, I feel I was born either too late or too early for my time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and, that, and that's a great line because he, he is a great artist. He's struggling with a lot of stuff. Um, I think it's I, – I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's very much implied that the reason he doesn't have the job anymore that he had is because of his lifestyle choices and everything. I mean, did well, you guys pick up on that? Pro- there may have been some um, – Hinting. What did the uh, – what's the D word? Um, drinking. He mentioned drinking. Uh, he said, "Are you still drinking?" And he said, "No, not a drop." No, it, yeah, it was. I knew the, that's uh, not what you meant, but I just discrimination. Sorry, yeah, yes. grief. Uh, there, there may have been some discrimination over his uh, mm-hmm. sexual orientation. Um, 
if if not heavily implied, then you know outright <laughs> winked yeah. at. Yeah. And there's a lot of other discrimination in the movie. Um, there is he they the 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 two characters go to a diner at one point, and there's a gentleman there that that the character likes and everything, and then it's kind of revealed later that he is very um. He he does not take well to the African American individual, and it it's, it comes out very suddenly in the movie too. And it's kind of one of those things to where I feel like the characters like I kind of dodged a bullet with that, but there is is racism and everything brought up in this movie too, because um Michael Shannon's character, who I think this surprises no one, is the well is yeah he's the villain. Oh he, yeah, yeah he's he, the monster in the movie. I think. Bingo, Mister Monsters Among Us. I knew you could pick out one when you saw it. Um. <laughs> No, he, my he is he is the true villain in this movie because not only is he he is just okay. I'm I'm gonna explain this and sorry for spoiler alerts real quick. The way we're introduced to his character is they are cleaning the men's bathroom. He comes in, walks up to a urinal, and just puts his hands on his hips as he uses it. If that is not the biggest, um. Uh, I'm trying to PG this comment, but um, D bag move I've ever seen. Then, then I mean, it it it's just it paints his you character in douche. Why didn't you can't I say douche on air? Uh, I'm okay, sure no, we no, can I was douche. Okay, I was respecting douche is okay. We can say ex- douche all we want. Z- Zinger, say douche. Douche. There you go. Oh, he said it. Uh, yeah, no, I was I was being <laughs> respectful. I I didn't know where we were going to draw the line with this, so I didn't want to be the one to to break that bubble. So, douche. Well, that's Anyways. what beats are for. <laughs> Anyways, so he does the most douchebaggy move of all time, just sitting there, peeing into the urinal with his hands on his hips, just talking uh, to these two cleaning ladies. Also, does not wash his hands, which, I mean, in, in the day and age we live now, that is... One, not washing your hands before this was, was questionable. Not washing your hands now, it's like, huh, but... Yeah, and then proceeds to eat candy with his unwashed hands. Oh yeah, and they were in the room. Power I, I should point out that the, the the two ladies that were cleaning the bathroom were still there, just oh, five no, yeah, feet away he from told him. him. Yeah, he, he's like, and oh he, no, no, you you don't need to leave. Stay for this. Yeah, and then he explains why he didn't wash his hands. Yeah, clearly, like a, he makes a big deal about it. Clearly, a power move uh, in on his part to like, you know. Uh, What's the word? Um, now I'm do- pulling to David. I can't think of the word now. Discriminate. <laughs> yeah, discriminate. <laughs> yes. Um, is it douche? Yeah, to, to, <laughs> apply, douche? to apply his dominance. Um, assert. Yeah. Assert his Another dominance. That's word. the word I was looking for. Uh, he, I mean, he is the monster in the film. There may be a literal monster, but this guy was was pretty evil. And I don't know what his, his role was there. Maybe it says in the credits. I Give me one second. Uh, he was head uh, of security, I believe, wasn't he? I think so. I, I think that was said at some point. Uh, he, he was. Yeah, I, a, I don't know that he was a scientist. No, he definitely wasn't a scientist, I and I don't believe he was in the military either. I think he was just a civilian. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, it, there, there was something weird about him, but he was a gnarly character. Let's put it that way. Perfect part for for Michael. Shannon. Oh yeah, he he did it I brilliantly. Mean, you you could you could tell me that. Guillermo del Toro followed him around with a camera and just didn't actually tell him he was in a movie, and I'd believe it. <laughs> it's just Michael Shannon being angry. He's so convincing. Uh, according to this, uh, Richard Strickland, U.S. State Colonel. So apparently he oh, okay. is. Oh, he was. Okay. Apparently he has a rank. I don't know if he was actively in the military because I know he reports that general guy. 
Yeah, yeah, the general, I, I can't remember the name of the general. We're, we're just nailing this today. General Hoyt um, actually yes. shows up, and, and he's the guy that's kind of putting the pressure on, like, we got to figure out what's going on with this amphibian guy. Um, you know, Played by Doug Jones, by the way, you didn't mention yes. that. Yeah, he, he nailed that. Part of it. Uh, but at a certain point, they want to dissect the creature. They're not getting the answers they need just by observing it. They want to cut it open. And that's when she decides she's going to bust it out. So that's the it's kind of General Hoyt's role in this film is to kind of put pressure on Michael Shannon's character to, to figure out what's going on here and get this thing taken care of. And if there's nothing, then get rid of it. It's kind of their philosophy. And it, there's Russians. And there's Russians. Well, and, and that, that's the other thing. This is the middle of the space race. And they kept saying, this is, this is our, like, dog in space. Or this is our, you know, this is... The, we, Cutting this thing open is going to solve all of our problems, sort of thing. And it's like I, I don't see how that works, but okay. Am I, am I just misremembering that scene? No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay, I, I, you guys got something. I'm like, uh, well, I just didn't want to disagree with you. I agree. I agree <laughs> with what you said. Um, Perfect. Excellent. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> the Russians. The Russians. And we don't mean. And we don't mean people running around. Who wants to? Uh, who wants to describe this little subplot that was going on with the Russians? <sighs> I'd volunteer, I, but I'm not real sure I followed all of it as closely as I should have. <laughs> Same so, here. so um, you you have this um, this scientist working for the. I'm I'm just gonna keep saying DARPA, even though it's not DARPA, but it's just fun to just keep saying DARPA. Uh, you you have the scientist working for DARPA who is a Soviet spy who is also having to do like all the cliche, you know, when he goes and meets his his handlers or whatever, he has to say the code word and everything, and then they take him to another location. And the location, of course, is in the back of some restaurant where there's a private table. Which do do those exist? Like I. I just got to ask, is there restaurants that have, like, if you go through the kitchen, if you go through, there's, like, a back room and they have private meetings? I, I just wonder that sometimes. It has to exist but somewhere. Back east, It maybe? has to. Maybe. But, so, his job is to find out as much as he can about this creature as well. And he's trying to, of course, when they go to dissect it or want to dissect it and everything, he's trying to convince them not to kill it because he wants it alive because this is kind of his big... His big thing for the Russians, he wants to get the the character's name is Dmitri. He wants to get this specimen for the Russians and everything. And of course, he works with the with um, our our heroes and everything to, of course, help them get it out of there. But I just found that very interesting how it had like the the, the cliche like using code words, you know, going to some other place. They're of course eating steak and everything and being all Americanized while still being, of course, Russians and everything. And it also very tense scene because it kind of becomes a spy thrill at one point because he keeps on thinking he keeps on thinking they're gonna kill him, his own people, because he isn't able to deliver or might be a liability at this point. So it kinda adds that little spy thriller elements into there too so this this movie works on a few different levels at certain times which i really enjoyed because it has a nice little dash of everything in here could you imagine finding yourself in the situation that uh his name in the film was dr robert hofstetter hofstetler mm -hmm. but he mm -hmm. uh, went by dimitri is his russian name can you imagine being in his position where no matter what move you make you're doomed there's nothing that <laughs> guy can do he, he even he he helped the creature escape. He got it out of there. Mm -hmm. Still didn't save a side. He still got he still got yeah. whacked in the end. 
if it wasn't the U.S. military, it was the Russian military after him. Uh, either way, he was he was kind of screwed. That 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 probably informed a lot of his uh, his character's decisions because he kind mm-hmm. of had a heart of gold in yeah, a way. Like he I did. think, oh he, yeah, he decided to help her uh, because he knew you know he was in a, a rock and a hard place there. Because of it, it was one of those moments where he wanted this thing. He wanted to save this thing, basically, from being killed or whatever the the United States was going to do to it. So he just figured if it got loose and was free, that would be better. Because he does go to help them and everything, and he gives them, you know, his number. He says, "If you need anything, you know, get in touch with me." And and you really are rooting for this guy the whole time. And he kind of has a really kind of crap. Why why do the characters we root for have like the worst endings? To their storyline too, because he he get well, sorry another That's spoiler life, baby. alert. That's life. Uh, just get shot. Also get shot through the mouth to where he has like a gun bullet hole through his like cheek. Which yeah. I, I'm sorry, like that is like the not not only is that like the worst thing to have happen. I think. I mean, I I haven't been shot, but I'm like just just not that because I can just imagine you know hitting teeth and everything. But then um, of course um. Michael Shan's character grabs, puts his finger in his mouth through the bullet hole to drag him away Oof. while he interrogates him, which I'm just like, once again, obviously the bad guy. And, that's, and at that, 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 that point, uh, Michael Shan's character is completely broken with the reality. And that tells you everything you need to know about that character as well. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I think it's a few minutes after or before he rips his own fingers off. So it kind of gives yeah. you... A, an indication earlier in the film, the amphibian man, as he's credited, uh, actually bites a couple of Michael Shannon's fingers off. They, the cleaning lady, the uh, Lisa, manages to find them and gives them back to Michael Shannon, and he has them reattached. <laughs> With some mustard, but they're all black and purple, sticking out of this bandage. Why they're not bandaged up, I have no idea. They're gonna get infected, obviously. But uh, and the operation didn't take so they start getting black and pussy and he gets mad and basically just grabs them and rips them off and there's pus spewing out of them it was a pretty gnarly scene so do you think that was a metaphor for his character becoming more and more like evil or more cold-hearted maybe metaphor? was that his literal breaking point i don't think it's very subtle was that a separation <laughs> issue yeah your, your puns are killing me right now <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, the, we picked this movie, or I picked this movie because it had a cryptid. And this is a. Let's talk about it. This is, yeah, let's talk. I mean, we're supposed to be talking about monsters anyway, or, or something like that. So, um, what are you guys' thoughts on this creature? It is, uh, I'll describe it real quick. It's like a seven foot tall, very trim looking. I mean, it's Doug Jones as the actor, so that kind of gives you an idea of, of what the body type there is. Uh, it's got little fins hanging off certain parts of the body but it's humanoid it's it's um it's appears to be bipedal i mean it does walk i guess uh has feet it's, it's a man mixed with some sort of fish or amphibian or something green skin scaly uh gills that kind of thing they say it comes from the amazon what kind of niche do you think this thing would would uh, live in or do you think it's it's beyond that is this some sort of culture that lives under the water is this uh, like like it said in the film, is this a god of some sort? Uh, what, basically, what are you guys' thoughts on on the entity itself? There, there's a a little weird uh, problem with that how how it was described and how they de- continue to describe it in the movie because when she breaks it out of the facility, the uh, the doctor tells her that it needs a certain amount of salt water mm-hmm. solution 
which she, you know, is able to expertly just eyeball in her own bathtub. <laughs> with with <laughs> table salt, no less. <laughs> with table salt. You know, that still works. But the the there's a discrepancy between uh, him being a saltwater uh, creature and then them finding him in the Amazon, which is the, the freshwater um, river, mm-hmm. uh, unless, you know, they say he was near the mouth of it or something like that. I don't know. I forget if they uh, some sort of that up. brackish water or something. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like mangroves or something, you know, near the outlet of, of the Amazon. But as far as I knew, it was a freshwater river system as well. Yeah. So, and I'm sure, you know, he can survive in, uh, in freshwater for a little bit, but, um, so that, that was a little bit of a weird discrepancy, but you know, we, I think it comes down to, is this thing extraterrestrial or is it a cryptid that, is uh, it survives in the deep ocean, you know, which is something even in reality uh, we struggle to know and we discuss that all the time. Are there cryptids or giant uh, things living way down in the ocean where for us it's basically the final frontier? We still struggle to to get down there and study that stuff, you know? So who knows? I think it was, and I don't know what the conscious effort was here by... Who wrote the film? I don't know if Del Toro wrote it or I'm going to look that up. Uh, but I don't know if, um, yeah, he, he wrote the screenplay story for Storyby, yeah. Uh, and story by. Story by. Okay. So I I don't know if he, he did this on purpose, but the fact that the creature came from water and then it came from like a mysterious body of water as well, like the Amazon. It's huge. I think it's the biggest river by volume in the world, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, either way, it's very close if it's not the top. And it's a it's a dark water river system. There's uh, peat and stuff like that that dyes the water a dark color. So if you're gonna pull a monster out of somewhere, like that's the perfect place to pull it from. You can't say, oh well, we went to just outside of Portland and nabbed ourselves a Bigfoot. That's a lot less believable than them going to the Amazon and got it in my lobster <laughs> trap. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's going through my trash. Um, so to me, that that's a big deal right there. That says a lot that. Uh, uh, it makes it more possible, more believable to me, and, and it sells it sells the story. Okay. So, as I said, I had a week, an extra week to think about this in the back of my mind. Did not know we had to redo it, but just kind of thinking on it. Um, I I, I kind of came up with this. So, it is pointed out that um, that our main character, Elsa, Elsie, Elsa, Elsa, Elise? No, not Elsa. Elise, there we go. Sorry. Thinking so frozen for some the reason. river. <laughs> yes, froze the river after it thawed. Um, no, she was found abandoned as a child with wounds on her neck, three on each side, much like Gills. And she's mute, much like the creature can't really communicate through speaking. It communicates through, of course, sign language, same way she does, because she teaches it to it. And it's... I feel it's heavily implied that she's part of the species, or some form of this species. In my opinion, because in the beginning, there's that whole dialogue about like um, a princess was taken or something by um, the by her one friend characters like doing a voiceover. Then at the end of the movie, of course, the the creature puts its hands around her neck in a healing way, not in a choke out way. I don't know. I, I wanted to clarify that. And then she's it's shown that she's able to breathe underwater. And like I said, I. Because their whole love story connection is very quick, and I'm like, I feel like the story was more 
that she is that the, her and this creature are more connected than we're than we're originally led to believe. And there's hints I think dropped throughout the movie. You hit on something that I got to repeat. Their relationship seemed to evolve quickly. It seemed to evolve yes. quickly if it was two human beings. The fact that it was a human and a lizard man or a amphibian man, yeah, it, it happened really quickly in a matter of weeks. So, <laughs> he, she fell in love with why, a monster. And that's why I think that there's something more that she was like part of this creature's like, like that there's something between the two of them. Yeah, there's a connection for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, oh, go Scott, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. My mom's going to something you dumb. Yourself. Well, you fine. Yourself. I'll go. Um, <laughs> last time we talked about this, last time we did the show, I, I didn't realize that the creature, I guess, put its hands around her neck and, and did that motion. I, I guess I missed that somehow. Mm-hmm. And that makes perfect sense to me because I thought he killed her. I thought he, she was already dying. <laughs> so he's just like, oh, screw it. We'll just go into water. Maybe I'll eat her or whatever. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I gotta make the joke once again. Um, so, romance written by Derek Hayes. In the end, she drowned. The creature took her away. Perfect love story. <laughs> hey, a man can dream. To 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 maybe eat her. Sorry, to maybe eat her. I gotta put that on the end there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she's <laughs> she's not gonna fulfill that anymore. Uh, might as well uh, use it for something. Well, I mean, <laughs> he's already established the fact that he bites fingers off, so. It's possible. <laughs> and so, he did eat a cat halfway through the film, which that's true. was a disturbing scene. Mm, very much so. Um, you, so something that we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, it has healing powers uh, because it gets oh, shot yeah, I guess that several times, been. actually, uh, and is able to heal the wounds and doesn't, uh, doesn't die from them. And then that happens at the end as well. And, and then he puts his hands around her. Does she get shot too? Yeah. You, yes. She gets shot, and then he puts his hands around her. I think he heals her wound, and then opens the gills up. So he's got some kind of power, um, and it's it's kind of like a um, it, it's kind of like a, a Wolverine cleric or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> he can he can heal himself and lay on hands, and. Um, and that's that. That is a uh, that's a step above just being a a fish hybrid. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, well, we mentioned last time we did again. I'll keep referencing this that um, it, it is p- part amphibian, according to the to the description here. And amphibians do have the power of, of rejuvenation of certain limbs. Uh, obviously, they don't wave their hand over it, and a bullet hole's gone. That's not how it works, but. Uh, if it isn't a more evolved version of these creatures, could that would they be able to control that a little better? The cell, the cell um, regeneration, or however that works, I'm not even sure how that works without researching it. Uh, is and for the sake of the story, is is that a, a leap to think that maybe that's how these abilities were achieved? The fact that it's just part of the species that's able to do that anyway. I'm I'm more on board with this than the bathtub. I mean, the bathroom scene. So, tell you what, that's more believable than what happened with them flooding the bathroom. I would agree with that. It's which I'll talk about in a second. To me, it's it's a step beyond um, just something natural. Like it it does definitely seem uh, either supernatural in origin or some something that even species of this earth can't normally do. So basically, alien or 
some sort of sentient being of some sort. Or or yeah, or super supernatural. Or super, uh, yes, or I meant to say supernatural. Um, so this thing lives. We didn't really answer this question. And I'm really curious what you guys think. It, it came from the Amazon. It's a one-off. We don't know of any other of these creatures that exist. Do you personally think they do? Like just in the world of the movie, not in real life, obviously, but in the world of this film, do you think that this came from like a uh, community of these things, or is it simply the the one creature that crashed to Earth or manifested somehow or whatever, however it got here. I'm going to go with, I think I have to say there's more of them because I alluded to the fact that she is one of them. So gonna say yes. Also, but here's the other thing. Maybe it has a very long lifespan since it can heal and, you know, rejuvenate itself as long as it has its salt water and um, lack of getting shot a lot. Well, That's a good point let, too. let me throw this question out here. If it's the only one, then why does it need to procreate, which it obviously does with the main character several times? Oh, no, that is that is just for fun. There's nothing about procreation going on there. <laughs> yeah, I think for that reason alone, I think there's more, more of them. There's probably some kind of uh, society of them going on. And and that would lead me to a, an off-the-wall theory that I remember hearing about several times over the years, the aquatic ape theory, which, uh, essentially, yeah. which essentially means or, or suggests that, uh, you know, as we divulged into Homo sapiens, another branch divulged into something that went into the ocean. So now there's uh, scaled or finned, web-toed apes that live in the water under the water somewhere. I mean, obviously we've never seen anything like this. The Fiji mermaid was one of the things that kind of hinted that this may be real, but obviously that's a gaff for, for freak shows and entertainment. So I, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought I'd at least suggest or throw it out there that that theory does exist. And I certainly don't believe in it, but I think it's interesting that uh, maybe this is a result of a theory like that in this world of the film. Not, not the real but, world. I just need to make sure I make that distinction. I'm not that crazy. <laughs> But is such a thing possible? Yes, it is. Thank you. Um, no, I mean, every time someone says the, the aquatic ape theory, I immediately think of that amazing documentary on the dis- – was it Discovery Channel? The mermaid documentary? Yeah. Yeah, that was Discovery. We should cover that at some point on here. Just throwing it out there. It's brutal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But I just think of that and just how it, like, had all the, quote-unquote, real evidence. And it it's one of those things I'm like, people got paid to make this believable. Like, people – I don't think the scientists were actors. I think they were like, could this thing be possible? And they just cut out them saying, well, no, but if it was, <laughs> they cut out that part. Yeah. Well, they, they proved For that they are all actors, actually. You can IMDB oh, okay. them and find out who they are, and they're in tons of stuff. Uh, it's it's important to point out that that's a mockumentary and not a documentary, and they didn't actually oh, so it say that when they when they broadcasted it. They just broadcast it on the Discovery Channel, you know, a channel that's supposed to be telling you the truth, and it's just total bogus. So a lot of people got really mad about that documentary, myself included. So War of the World situation, got it. Pretty much. Mm. Nice. So uh, there was another thing I wanted to bring up here, and that was the use of the color green. There was um, jello was brought up. Uh, there was jewelry that was green, key lime pie candy. that was neon green. The candy was neon green. Um, there were so many things uh, that were green. And then 
this was there was a part where Michael Shannon decides he's going to buy a new car and he buys like a 60 Corvette, I think. I can't remember now. It's been so long. Uh, but he, either way, he Chrysler, no, Chry- Cadillac, Cadillac. It was a Cadillac. Uh, and he's he says, well, you know, it's green. I don't I don't like the color. It's green. And he's like, nah, my friend, this is teal. And all of a sudden <laughs> he he was on board when it wasn't green. So there was obviously something going on with the color green that was um, carried throughout the film. I just couldn't really connect all the dots to figure out what it was. I should have Googled it, but I feel like that's cheating. It, it would be. Also, I'm randomly holding a green D&D die right now. For, I, and that, that was not on purpose for this. It the just synchronicities, man. Synchronicities, I can't believe it. Oh, man. Oh, man. If it, if it falls oh, in a tin can, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Um, no, on I, a scale I, of one to liminal, what would you rate this film? <laughs> so, uh, well, not, not only that, it seems like there's a green filter almost used for like a lot of the filming and stuff yeah. at times. Like there's almost a green like tint to everything. And I, I feel like there is something. I mean, maybe he's just really into the color green he wants us to know. Guillermo del Toro is. I, I feel like there is a deeper meaning, and yes, I do feel like us looking it up is cheating. So, you, dear listener at home, please comment with the knowledge of the internet on why there's so much green in this movie. Yeah, maybe somebody out there can look it up for us, then tell us, then it's not cheating. Exactly, it's us learning. But It's a great palette that that he uses. It It really sets sets scenes, and the cinematography is great. And with a director like Guillermo del Toro, the the green thing is not an accident. There's no way that's an accident. He has control over everything he's got on that on that screen. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Justin. He did use uh, I don't know if it's a green or a blue filter, but he used it a lot whenever the fish man was around. That was pretty much the filter mm-hmm. that he used to kind yep. of, I guess, juxtapose the two worlds. Her free life of freedom that was brighter and warmer, and then his life of solitude in this cage that was darker ah. and blue blue colors, blue hues, and that kind of psychologically really throws you off. In fact, I'm looking at the IMDb page and it's showing two scenes from the two little stills from the, uh, the, the science research center. And then one from her apartment, she's like a warm yellow color and they're both like a dark, uh, green bluish, a cold, a cold color. Yeah. yeah. A cold temperature. Mm. So, I mean, that kind of, that kind of stuff is incredible when people actually apply that. Uh, yeah, that that was one of the things that made the film Underworld so successful early on. Is anything with uh, the werewolves was just blue as can be. If you go back and watch it, it's super blue, and and people didn't really catch on to it at first, but it gave them that vibe, like I'm in a different world, and I think that helped sell that film a lot. The Matrix did that really yeah, well. Matrix too. did as well. Yeah, they definitely used green as well. Yeah, but I'd love to know what this what message he's trying to get out here is this. Well, you mentioned one at one point, um, probably on the other conversation, that we see kind of a turn in the story or a turn in the uh, the dialogue or the action or the character choices whenever Green shows up, like overtly, oh. like the Jello, the yeah. candy, the, the pie, stuff like that. Um, so you know, maybe there's something to that. Maybe it's an indicator of of some, or at least when you see it, like right in front of you, yeah, instead of yeah. just the palette. And and it was too. It wasn't super subtle. Like uh, I didn't. I don't think I missed too many of them. They were right in your face. Like here's the green jello, and then it goes out of frame. Or here's the candy right in. You know, each one of them were super easy to point out. I, I just didn't draw the connection. I don't remember saying that, but I probably did. I, I guess if I went back and watched it, maybe it does like hint towards some sort of behavioral changes or 
or something along along the yeah, lines with with plot, the characters. Plot diversion, yeah, yeah, some sort of twist. It, it, I mean, it was the whole thing was brilliant, brilliantly done, and it won a ton of awards. And if I can find the page, maybe I can tell you exactly what it won as far as the uh, Academy is concerned. Uh, I think it won five, if I remember correctly. Does that sound about right, guys? Four or five, yeah. yeah. Sounds about right. I mean, I'm so I'm shocked it's not more. To be honest, well, it was nominated for I believe ten Academy Awards and took home four or five. I I can't find the page that had all this info on it. It it won in it won in four categories: best produ- best production design, best original score, best director, and best picture. Um, it is the second fantasy film to win best picture after Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Why doesn't it have any more than that? Oh, list of accolades received. Okay, there we go. All right, Academy Awards. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, which I am shocked it didn't win for because that uh fish costume is amazing. Best yeah. p- Film Editing, Best Original Score, Best Production Design. Best sound editing and best sound mixing. I'm going to ask a stupid question because I feel like I've, I, this is a personal thing and maybe I can finally get the answer. What is the difference between sound editing and mixing? Oh, I should know the answer to that question. I would say mixing would be like a, a final polish on the levels, okay. kind of like color correction yeah. for audio would be my guess. And then the editing is chopping together the, yeah, the editing, the, the editing, stuff. the film, you get, you get raw footage and you have to like cut that into the storyline there's a huge difference between the two it's just i don't know what each each element is but that's the base the basis of it so i I was asking sorry go ahead david it it won four but we uh the field it was up against was no um walk in the park to to win against it it had some competition uh, for all the categories what was uh uh, 19 or um uh Dunkirk was uh, out there. Oh, wait, I got the, the list. The post, yeah, go for it. Uh, call me by na- call me by your name. Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom yeah, Thread, the prequel to the Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> the Post, uh, three billboards outside of Edding, mm, Missouri. So yeah, not a um easy. One for, I mean, not 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 a walk in the park. Not that best picture ever it is a walk in the park, but Something yeah, I mean, I know that, get, yeah, I, I know Get Out was a was a big one uh, that that took a lot of awards. Dunkirk is one of those movies that's like visually astounding. Uh, the Post, uh, just, I'm, I'm I'm a sucker for Steven Spielberg, so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say Steven Spielberg was involved. So, I mean, come on. But yeah, uh, I mean, it, it it took that, and like I said, like like we've said many other awards that that year. I have some interesting uh, trivia that I just stumbled upon that I, I'm going to throw a few facts out here. Uh, starting off with uh, Richard, Richard Jenkins, the uh, gay neighbor character, was originally written for Ian McKellen, which I think would have went well as well. Mm. Doug Jones obviously played uh, Abe Sabian in the Hellboy series, also right, uh, right. amphibian-type creature. Uh, Guillermo del Toro actually wrote, wrote the film for Sally Hawkins and Michael Shannon. He wrote it for both of them, and he said he didn't have a backup for either one. And then here's my favorite one. Uh, when it won the Oscar for uh, Best Picture, Michael Shannon was sitting in a bar in Chicago. David, do you know Old Town Ale House by chance? 
Oh, I absolutely do. I've spent many a many a night there. <laughs> so, so according to IMDb here, this is what <laughs> no. it's, it says: Michael Shannon was at the at a Chicago bar, Old Town Ale House. The moment the film won Best Picture at the 90th Academy Awards, the bar's owner waited until after the ceremony was over to post a picture to Twitter of Shannon nonchalantly sitting at the bar alone with a pint of beer, watching the broadcast. How badass is that? You could have been with them. You he could have been sitting there with he, them. Oh, he definitely could have been there. He's probably nominated, I imagine. Oh no, he, I, I meant I meant David could have been sitting at the oh, bar David, with yeah. him. So that that uh, that pub is is right across the street from uh, Second City, and it's right down the street from uh, Red Orchid Theater, which he is a member of and performs at uh, from time to time. Nice. It's just a little little dive bar. It's where you know you get done with the Second City show, you head over and. And just uh, go to town on some PBR, <laughs> or old style, really. <laughs> you know, my my Michael Shannon connection is not even mine. It's it's uh, through some friends, but I have friends, a lot of friends from Chicago. Actually, they they moved out here and they're actors here. But one of my good friends, Corinne, was in a play where she was in a play with Michael Shannon, and she had to make out with him. So she would <laughs> talk about that all. Oh, I got to make out with Michael Shannon one time. So at some point, she was in a play in Chicago with him. So I, I guess he's a Chicago native. Native then, I think so. And uh, the the other one that that really uh, that really struck out to me was that the creature's design was heavily inspired by the creature from the Black Lagoon, which was filmed in 1954. And uh, Michael Shannon's character even says, as, as we mentioned, that it came from the Amazon, and that's also where the creature from the Black Lagoon came from. So maybe it's uh, the same world or something along those lines. Well, let's talk for a second about um, some of that inspiration that has been talked about. Uh, one of them you you mentioned the Hellboy. Um, character of a a sapien, uh, almost spit an image of of this. Um, well, the the practical suit they had him in, I guess. And people have said, you know, is there a connection between this and that character? And uh, Zinger, you you looked up at one point uh, to see where in the timeline that would take place. Right? Yes, um, Abe's. Uh, I know that his name comes from. A note that was left on his tank, and this is like when they found him like in a storage unit or something. They found a note on his tank that was dated the same day that Abe Lincoln was assassinated. So that's where his name comes from, but he has no memory of before that time. Like after they he got is, him out and everything. That guy's old. That's, yeah, uh, exactly. April 14th, yeah. 19, 1865. Yes. Also, yeah. I, I got a weird Michael Shannon fact that's actually vaguely relevant. Um... He's from Kentucky. And and also he like split between Kentucky and Chicago and only. So, um David. Uh-oh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry guys. You know, I wouldn't be surprised at all. He's so good, I wouldn't be surprised at all. David just starts just peeing start right in front of us. <laughs> I'm screaming at the Skype. <laughs> I will find him. <laughs> two, I, I want to throw um, out two other trivias, and I'm going to leave that alone. Um, one, the main character, uh, Elise, is that what her name was? Um, Elsa. She, Elsa. 
She progressively, <laughs> man, I can't remember the name either. She progressively wears more red throughout the film. Uh, the, lo- the further mm. into the film you get, the more red she has on. I didn't notice that, but that was that was something mentioned. And this is the biggest one, and I don't know why I didn't lead with this. This is the only science fiction film to win the best picture. Wow, that's that's mm. huge. And I hope that would open some doors, but unfortunately, I don't know that it did. It closed more of them. We yeah, it's. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's strange. But uh, to circle back real quick to the inspiration, a lot of people have connected it to Lovecraft because mm. Del Toro is a huge Lovecraft fan. He's been trying to figure out how to make a uh, Mountains of Madness movie mm-hmm. or, you know, Call of Cthulhu something with Lovecraft. And a lot of people have said, well, this is uh, one of the deep ones uh, that uh, and, and that's how he's kind of getting this knot in here. And it it's. I, I don't think it is ultimately because uh, the deep ones in Lovecraft lore, they are a, uh, a kind of a human fish hybrid race that lives in the water under the, you know under the sea, and under the sea. they um, they they uh, worship uh, Dagon and Cthulhu. Uh, Dagon just basically being a giant version of one of these creatures. And uh, they in in they are introduced in Shadow Over Innsmouth, and the whole thing about that uh, story is that the residents of Innsmouth, uh, the f- fictional town uh, that Lovecraft came up with, the residents are descendants and interbreeding with the Deep Ones, and they are actually hybrids who change more and more into fish people uh, as their life progresses. And, and it's to the point where, you know, at, at, in, in the later stages, they definitely have the bulgy eyes. They've, they've got, you know, big uh, open mouths and lips, and they just look disgusting until at, at some point they, they cannot resist the urge to go home. And they rip off their clothes and jump into the sea and are never seen again. And so in that story, the, the main um, protagonist is basically finding all this stuff out about Innsmouth. And yeah, I, I won't spoil it cause it's, it's a, it's a fun twist and it's a good story. Uh, but in this movie, none of that is really happening. Mm, um, I disagree. You don't, you don't think that someone, you you th- do you think that she is turning into she, something? It sounds like you just described her character, honestly. Well, see, that's I wasn't sure because she's not really exhibiting any anything fish like except for those gills, and those are just marks that she's always had. Yeah, uh, as opposed to them developing over her life, or she getting more and more you know grotesque as she. Uh, ages. Not that we see her age a lot, but she's what twenty five or something in the film, and um, she she looks pretty healthy, you know, as a human mm-hmm. then. So I don't know. You could uh, there there could be a case made either way, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, just as you were describing it, I was thinking uh, she obviously was different. There's something different about her the entire mm-hmm. film. I, it, it's not just that she's mute. It's not just that she lives next door to to Richard Jenkins' awesome character. It, there's something strange about this woman. And he even hints at it. She's a princess. He calls her a princess yep. for some reason. 
um, in the dial the opening dialogue, there's a voiceover that's kind of like setting up a story. Once upon a time, kind of situation. I couldn't tell you what all he said, but he did refer to her as a princess. So I'm wondering if maybe. She was missing and found. Nobody knows where she came from. Did she grow up in Innsmouth? And, you know, was how far? Where is Innsmouth, by the way? Do you? Massachusetts. Oh, it's in Massachusetts. Okay, so she's in Baltimore. That's not a, a distance. I mean, that's not a, a big <laughs> distance. I mean, I'm grabbing at straws here, obviously, but I, knowing Guillermo del Toro and knowing his work, I wouldn't be surprised if that had a huge influence in it. And that's, that's yeah. directly where that story might have came from. Maybe he imagined. What if somebody left that town? What if a young lady left that town and, you know, she didn't heed that call, but then somebody came and found her kind of situation. And maybe that's where the story came from. That conjecture, a hundred percent conjecture, but, uh, I, I just love to, I love to explore ideas of how some of these stories might've been thought up. Like you think of something like Fight Club. How did, uh, uh, Chuck, uh, Palinac come up with Fight Club? Like how, where, Yeah. like whose mind was that in? <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't I, know. I like it. I hope this opens doors for him uh, to really get a some kind of Lovecraft movie made. And I just recently watched The Color of Space with uh, Nicolas Cage being like <laughs> at an 11. And, um, I, you know, I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I, I don't really know if there's much to compare it to, but um, it, was, it was very interesting. And it's hard to do cosmic horror on film. It's yeah. hard to... You know, it, it works so well on the page because you're doing all the work yourself mm-hmm. for it. So uh, it, it, it is a task to get one of those done. I hope he continues to try to find a way to make uh, an actual Lovecraft horror film. Well, I can tell you, we did some digging on the last recording that you guys will never hear. And we discovered <laughs> that the budget to this film was only $20 million, which is yeah. nothing. That is pennies on a film like this, like literal Amazing. pennies. Uh, to give you an indication, I, I you know I used to work in film and and we we shot Lincoln Lawyer for I think twenty four million something along those lines. Hopefully my boss isn't listening and, and yelling at me because I can't remember. But uh, my old boss, I should say. It, but but the point is, you look at Lincoln Lawyer, not a bad movie, but not the same, not even close to the same kind of movie we're looking at with The Shape of Water, and and they did it for even less than what we did. Yeah. Now, granted, Guillermo del Toro has a lot of pool in Hollywood right now. He's uh-huh. he's had some pretty big movies. So if he says, oh, I want to do this movie, it shouldn't be too hard for him to get it made. So I guess that's um, it's a kind of a silver lining for your uh, Cthulhu universe, your, uh, your uh, Lovecraftian stuff. It may happen. It may still happen because yeah. he does yeah. have a lot of pool. I love the guy. He's, he's, I watched uh, Conan O'Brien did a tour of his house. Uh, I think it was, uh, what's his sidekick's name? Andy. Uh, Richter. Andy Richter. I think Andy Richter went to his house with a video crew and uh, just walked around looking at stuff. And man, the collectibles he has, like some of the original Hammer Horror, some of the original Frankenstein, Dracula stuff, like incredible. Obviously the stuff from his films, which is incredible as well. Uh, I, I'm just a big fan of his and I thought he did a brilliant job with this film. I had something and I completely forgot what it was. <laughs> well, after my Whoops. ten minute rant, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Don't worry, it'll come to me. Oh, that's what it was. So so not to put this um I mean, I guess some people consider it a curse on stuff, but um with the whole cinematic universe, everyone wants to have their film built in film franchise guaranteed movies, blah blah blah. 
I don't understand why the Cthulhu mythos has not really been touched on that much, or even, you know, like, really... Ta- I mean, I guess, we're all, I guess we're all waiting. It's high concept. Yeah, it's too big of a it, world to... Yeah, it, 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 like, I think beyond, even beyond the world, because, I mean, Star Wars and Lord yeah, of the Rings, those true, are huge, but... True. I, I think the concept of the type of madness that is inherent in a Lovecraft story is very hard for a an od, a, a, an audience of normal folk to sink their brains into. You know what I mean? Um, and, and then, of course, like I said, the cosmic horror aspect, a lot of them are described as indescribable. <laughs> like you're not supposed to be able to tell what the hell you're looking at. So... It's yeah, it's it's already got built in things that are tough to get it made. I, I think he could do it. He could he could certainly try and he'd have my blessing. It'll happen what eventually. What the film make? It it, it was like hundred and sixty million worldwide or something. Uh, I brought it? in hundred and ninety five million, which is hundred and ninety five which is pretty good. good. That's I think that's worldwide. That's uh, some walking around money. I can verify yeah, that's worldwide. <laughs> that's enough money to burn a wet mule. <laughs> It looked like it was pretty popular uh, internationally. It only did uh, sixty, almost sixty-four million here, which is nothing to shake a stick at. But still, three uh, times as- did one hundred and thirty-one internationally. So it kind of tells you that this. Is, I think this is a higher brow film, so it didn't really land with a lot of Americans. And I don't mean that as an insult in any way. It's just not the kind of entertainment a lot of a lot of people in our country look for. Honestly, it's it just isn't. Well. It's easy to get stuck on the the, the fish coitus part. <laughs> I, it's it's a love it's, story America pes- was not ready for. Yeah, the the pescoidal <laughs> pesca coitus. He was after that bass pesca coitus. There you go. You just invented a new religion. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming for you, Rob Morphy. We're coming for your cult. <laughs> Oh man! Well, guys, let's uh, let's wrap this guy up. Uh, let's end on a suggestion. Would you guys suggest that people watch this movie? If so, why? If not, why? And uh, your, I guess your final thoughts. Uh, I'll go first. I, you know what? This is a movie I regret taking so long to see. I understand why it won won so many awards. It is a it is a great movie to watch. Um, if Okay, I guess what I'm what I want to say is this: If anyone ever wants you to reenact the scene from Notebook, you fire back with, "I want to reenact the scene from Shape of Water where we flood our our um bathroom and just totally destroy either our um safety deposit or renter's insurance <laughs> and the theater below." We got to yes. talk. We got to talk about this scene real quick before we go. Yeah. So at a certain point, this is where she's already broken the, li- I keep calling him the lizard man. She's already broken the amphibian man out. He's chilling in her bathtub or the neighbor's bathtub with a little discrepancy it, about which apartment this it, is. It, it is her bathtub. I am saying it's her bathtub. I'm but... saying it's not her bathtub because he stumbles outside and eats the neighbor's cat. So why is Because the they left house? the doors open. They left well, the doors open. Well, that's very, very uh, irresponsible. You the, you, the listener at home, who's correct? Let us know. Anyways, <laughs> us continue. Know. So anyhow, what was I talking about? Oh, okay. So, uh, and that's when she decided that, uh, well, this is the guy for her. And, and they start getting a little hot and heavy. She's like, oh, hold on. I got an idea. So they're trying to <laughs> trying to do all this in the bathtub, not enough room, whatever. So she <laughs> shoves some towels under the door, and, uh, door crack, and just turns the sink on. 
So the room floods completely, fills completely with water. Yeah, and within like down, 10 minutes. And they live above a, a movie theater. We should point this out. So the, the mm-hmm. theater goers below, they're looking up and there's water dripping on them. The reality of this situation is that every gallon of water weighs about eight pounds. And that room looked like it was 20 by 20. I can't do the math, but that's a lot of water, weighs a ton. And it's just basically on the roof of this theater, the whole thing would collapse. It, that scene really made me mad. You're took right, me out of the movie. <laughs> took me, me right out of the movie. That, that one in the dance scene was, was a little, little The dance there. scene, I'm, yeah. You know what? La La Land kind of. I'm more on board with, with the weird La La Land than I am with the totally unrealistic taking me out of the movie scene of them flooding a bathroom. Oh, and then they just open the door, all the water pours out, and it's just kind of a whatever thing about ten minutes later. You it know. all just dries up. Oh, the, oh, the, the 1960s, when water dried up real quick. <laughs> so so would you recommend it, though, Justin? Yes, I, I, I would. I would definitely recommend it. Like I said, I regret that it took me this long to see it. And Derek, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity and the excuse to actually have to sit down and watch it. So... Thank you on that. I, well, I, I was I, trying to find something new and, and, and different than what we've been doing in the past, and I think I found it. Unlike <laughs> other stuff we've watched, I don't regret this afterwards. <laughs> what is it? You, you, uh, you missed all those very, very close-up shots of people's faces and all the smoking. Like yes. Dan Aykroyd just sitting in the corner smoking. <laughs> you know what? I knew there was something missing from this movie. Dan Aykroyd smoking in the corner would have been a, you know, would have won more awards. Anyways, David, what did you think? No, I like this. Uh, I like the the picture, and like I said, I I would recommend uh, seeing it just based on the fact that it's so fresh, so creative, so unique. Um, I don't think other adjectives. Other adjectives that it, it's it's. It's nothing like the rehashes that we're seeing more and more. It's nothing like the remakes and the sequels that are, you know, it's not the seventh film in a series or something. It is what I think people ask for, which is <laughs> kind of a, a funny a funny thing when you think of it. Um, and I think people get stuck on uh, the, the weird stuff and the sexual stuff uh, on it a little bit too much when there's a whole beautifully shot, beautifully acted uh, movie there that that you can um, really get some cool entertainment from and you know we mentioned it, it it touches on so many so many different issues um that are still we we have to deal with today unfortunately like the racism the sexual uh, discrimination um sex and, with uh, fish. sexism and and bestiality <laughs> like <laughs> But um, but yeah, like it, it it does it in in a way that is very uh, smooth, and it really sets not only scenes up in in every part of the film. It sets characters. You you immediately know what the what the characters' motivations are and what kind of you know who who you're rooting against and rooting for. Um, and I think it it handles all those issues very uh very well and and on top of it is this love story that is weird but if you if you take away certain aspects of it 
it fits right in with this world of oppression and discrimination and what is right, what is wrong, who's the monster and who's not. I I think it's uh it's very well put together and really <clears throat> worth a watch. Um if you if you really like that uh sort of weird but also very well acted uh storylines, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I would completely agree with both of you. Um I thought the film was super simple. That was what it had going for it the most. The story wasn't complicated. Nothing was complicated about this film. It was very simple. She met this guy or thing, uh, fell in love with it, broke it out, and then that was it. That that was basically the story. There was plenty of detail to keep you interested. There was no uh, low parts of the film, I didn't think. The, uh, The pacing was really good. The performances were phenomenal. Uh, Michael Shannon alone just carried that thing. Richard Jenkins, I think he was actually nominated for an Oscar for his performance. Um, it's just really good stuff there. The music I thought was really good. Uh, it was that Alexandra Desplat, I think, did that. Yeah, um, one of, one of, that was one of the Academy Awards it won. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, did I say Alexandra? I meant Alexander. Or which one is it? Alexandre? It's Alexandre. Alexandre. It? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Man, I'm from the sticks of Ohio. I'm lucky I can pronounce anything, let's be honest. Um, But yeah, just the fact that it was so beautiful and such a – it's a timeless story. You could watch this story 50 years from now and I think it would still kind of – it'd still speak to you. Um, I highly recommend it. Uh, Don't watch it with kids. And do do your best to get past past the – the squeamish parts. Uh, there, there, there are some scenes in there that make you uncomfortable, but my best advice is that before you start it, just accept the fact that you're going into a different world. The world you're going yeah. into has different rules. The world you're going into has different uh, probabilities. Like everything's just different in, in this world. So if, if you go into it with that thought, I think you'll have a better viewing experience. And you know what? If you make it to five minutes, 11 seconds in, then you're in there for the rest of the ride. <laughs> That's when Sarah left the room. So, <laughs> <laughs> is that the egg timer scene? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, yeah, and it kind of gives you an indication early on that so, she likes water a lot. So. so, so Derek, if that's the neighbor's tub, then <laughs> she's got some cajones. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. But I assume both of their bathrooms would look the same because they're. I'll have to. Man, I don't know. Maybe you're right, Justin. Ah, uh, yeah. Also, <laughs> oh. I found out why there's all the green in the movie, too. But I will not say anything, because, once again, I told the listener to let us know. All right, well, tell us when we're done. So, all right. Uh, for Knights at the Round Table, I have been Derek Hayes of Monsters Among Us. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Uh, I've been David Flora <laughs> of the Blurry Photos Podcast. Uh, you can find me at blurryphotos.org and also wherever fine podcasts, fine podcasts are free. Uh, I'm Zinger from the Zingness podcast. Uh, you can find me where, um, ever free podcasts are free to roam out in the fields that they enjoy. Unlike those paid podcasts that Derek has. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Zingness is free range. (laughs) Free range. Screw me my money. Oh, man. All right, guys. Well, thank you for for doing all this, and uh, we will catch you guys on the next roundtable. Bye. Bye.